When Jesus and his disciples were on the way to Jerusalem before the triumphal entry, he told them when they got there, he would be delivered to the chief priests and scribes who would condemn him to death. That they would deliver him to the Gentiles who would mock and scourge and crucify him. And that on the third day, he would be raised up. The very next thing recorded is a request from James and John brought to Jesus by their mother to sit on his right and left in his glory. The dialogue that follows makes it pretty clear that they weren't thinking about his resurrection to glory. In fact, it would appear that they didn't even hear what he was saying about his impending death. Responding to the request, Jesus told them that they didn't know what they were asking for. And then he asked if they thought they were able to drink the cup he was about to drink and be baptized with the baptism he was about to experience. They responded by basically saying, not a problem. They had no idea what he was talking about. He was asking if they were willing to share in the cup of his suffering and to be immersed in the experience of his death. Even though they didn't understand it, he did go on to tell them that they would drink the cup he was about to drink and be baptized with the baptism with which he would be baptized. They would indeed share in his suffering and death. Some years later, the Apostle Paul would discover that the believers in Ephesus didn't understand the link between baptism and death either. When he first went to Ephesus, he discovered he wasn't the first preacher to hit town. A young evangelist named Apollos had already been there, and he had left behind a body of believers. After spending a little time with them, however, Paul discovered that something very important was missing from their life and the relationship with the Lord. They didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Paul found this incredulous and asked, Into what then were you baptized? I wonder if Paul might not ask the same question today if he came and spent a little time with us? Would he find something missing in our walk with the Lord that would prompt him to ask, into what were you baptized? And if he did, how would you answer it? Into what were you baptized? Now, some might say, I was baptized into the church. Maybe your parents had baptized you as an infant and you therefore always thought of yourself as a member of the church because you were baptized into the church. Or maybe you made a confession of faith as a youth and were then baptized to join the church. And most churches do require some form of baptism before you can be considered a member so that that's not a wrong answer. After all, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says we were all baptized into one body. 
And the body he's talking about is the body of Christ, the church. So yes, we are baptized into the church. But I'm sure you realize baptism is more than initiation right to join the church. In Galatians 3, 27, Paul says we were baptized into Christ and that when we're baptized into Christ, we clothe ourselves with Christ. Baptism is therefore more than joining the church. It's joining ourselves to and clothing ourselves with the person of Christ. It's a way of becoming one with Christ, a way of entering into a personal relationship with the Son of God. Most of us, I'm sure, understand this to be true. But there's even more to baptism than that. In Romans 6.3, Paul asks another very important question about baptism. He asks, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Apparently, it's not even enough to understand we are baptized into Christ. We must understand that we are baptized into his death. Now, why is it so important that we understand this? Because in understanding that we've been baptized into his death has a direct bearing on our behavior. In fact, this is Paul's answer to those who thought grace was a license to sin. When the suggestion was made that Christians might feel free to sin because they know they can be forgiven, Paul responded, may it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? And then he asked, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? He then goes on to illustrate what it means to die with Christ. And he does so by painting three pictures of death. He pictures dying with Christ in baptism as being buried with him, as being united with him in the likeness of his death, and as being crucified with him. If we understand the significance and the reality of these pictures, no one will have to ask us, into what have you been baptized? Our life will demonstrate the fact that we have indeed died with Christ and are now living a resurrected life in, with, and through him. So let's make sure we understand what it means to be baptized into his death. First of all, it means that we have been buried with him. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. When Jesus told Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus was confused. He didn't understand how anyone could be born again. He knew you couldn't crawl back into your mother's womb and be born a second time. What he didn't understand 
was that through the grace of God, a man could experience a second birth, a spiritual birth, a second birth that apparently takes place in baptism. After Nicodemus asked how it would be possible to be born again, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is the answer to the question about how to be born again. Now, I do have to admit that there is not a consensus on what Jesus meant when he said it was necessary to be born of water. Those who view baptism as merely symbolic don't like to think there's any connection between the physical aspect of baptism and salvation, between baptism and being born again. They believe born of water is either a reference to the physical process of being born or a reference to the living water that Christ provides. Those who believe there is a sacramental aspect to baptism, that God actually does something to the individuals that are being baptized, which I do, have traditionally seen baptism as the moment when the new birth takes place, when sins are washed away and the Spirit comes to take up residency in a person's heart. Now, whether John 3, 5 should be used to confirm that fact or not is up for debate. But unless you're going to deny that the baptism mentioned here is a reference to water baptism, which some actually do, Paul does make it clear that in baptism we die, are buried, and raised to walk in newness of life. We bring the old life to an end and begin another. We are, in fact, born again. When we go under the water, we declare ourselves to be dead. And we enter a grave, his grave. Through baptism, we are buried with him. And we willingly go to that grave with him because we know the grave cannot hold the Son of God. He was raised from the dead through the glorious power of the Father. And if we go into a grave with him, we too will be raised through the glorious power of the Father to walk in newness of life. Our baptism is the means whereby we close the chapter on an old life and begin a new one with him. It's the way God has made it possible for us to be united with the risen Christ. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Through baptism, we unite with Christ by sharing in the likeness of his death. Jesus died 2,000 years ago, so we can't actually die with him we can share in the likeness of his death. Now, the NIV leaves out the word likeness here. It says, if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. 
And in a spiritual sense, we do share in his death when we ask that his death might pay the penalty for our sins and commit ourselves to dying to sin. But the way we express our desire and willingness to do that is by sharing in a likeness of his death. The word likeness is in the original language. And it's very important because it tells us something about baptism. Baptism is to be a likeness of Jesus' death, a picture of dying. Now, obviously, some forms of baptism that are used today don't do that. And I think that's why the interpreters of the NIV left it out. They didn't want to be controversial. There was, however, no controversy about the form of baptism when Paul wrote it. The only form of baptism was immersion, complete immersion into water. In fact, the Greek word baptisma actually means immersion, not baptism. Baptism is not a translation of baptism. It's a transliteration. It's a word that was coined by translating the letters to create a new word, one that would avoid controversy. A word, however, that sadly lost the symbolism inherent in immersion. Total immersion in water is a picture, a likeness of death. When someone is immersed, he closes his eyes, holds his breath, and takes on the appearance of having died. And in doing so, he becomes united with Christ in the likeness of his death. He is buried with Christ. And as he comes out of the water, he is raised with Christ. He is united with Christ in his resurrection. Now, do note that I did not say in the likeness of his resurrection. In the likeness isn't in the Greek text here. And I don't know why the New American Standard felt it necessary to add it, even if it was in italics. It's true. That coming out of the water does picture the resurrection, but it's more than that. When we come out of the water, we are actually being resurrected to eternal life. Now, some some think this places too much importance on the physical act of baptism. And it does raise a legitimate concern about those who haven't been baptized by immersion in the likeness of his death. As to the first concern, all I can say is that the Bible does place a lot of importance on the physical act of baptism. It's an expression of faith that Peter goes so far as to say saves us. In 1 Peter 3.21, after writing about those who were saved by the ark in Noah's day, he says, and corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the physical act of baptism, we appeal to God for a good conscience. We ask him to take away our sin 
And he does so. It's not the physical act itself that saves us, the washing of our body, but what God does when we honor him by doing what he said we should do. And if he said to bury yourself in water, who are we to say it's not important? He said it. So we do it by faith without question. And as to the second concern, all I can say is that God is merciful and judges according to knowledge. If someone doesn't know any better, I don't believe God will condemn him for misunderstanding the importance of immersion. But I do believe that if you know what the Bible says, you better do it. We are not free to do what we want. Grace doesn't give us license to disobey or to ignore what God has said. To refuse to do what we know we should do is willful disobedience and may indicate that we've not actually been crucified with him. Reading on. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. To be baptized into Christ's death is to be crucified with him. Now, again, we can't actually go back 2,000 years and allow ourselves to be nailed with him on the cross. But we can crucify self. We can crucify the old sinful man that insisted on having his way and rebelled against the authority of God. Paul admonishes us in Galatians 5.24 to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And when we're baptized into his death, we indicate a willingness to do just that. We demonstrate a willingness to die to what we want and to do what he wants. When we allow ourselves to be buried with him, we demonstrate a willingness to die with him to be crucified with him. We are publicly stating that our old sinful self has been killed, crucified with Christ. The old sin-dominated self is now gone, dead and buried. And we've been born again. We are still in the flesh for the time being. But we are no longer enslaved to the sins of the flesh. We've been freed to live a life that is victorious over sin. A life that is possible because we have been united with Christ. In a spiritual sense, we became a time traveler. We did go back 2,000 years and join Christ on his cross. But we also nailed ourselves to a cross today. We crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
that the body of sin might be done away with. In doing so, we were raised to walk in newness of life. We were born again as a new person indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If your baptism didn't do that, into what were you baptized? If all you can say is that you were baptized into a church, you need to reevaluate what you did. And you may need to be baptized again, as were the believers in Ephesus. And even if you've been baptized into Christ, you really haven't unless you have been baptized into his death. Unless you have been buried with him, united with him in the likeness of his death, and crucified with him. Only then have you truly surrendered your all to him. And only then have you been freed from sin to walk in newness of life with full assurance that you will one day share in his resurrection. If you've not been baptized into his death, I implore you to do so.